1: And everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast.
0: Live late night Saturday. It is time for our Week 1 Instant Reaction Recap. I'm Chip Patterson. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. We have gathered together because uh, Week 1, not quite yet in the books, uh, but certainly we've had enough thrills from Thursday, Friday, Saturday uh, to, to fill up a good reaction pod. Right now, uh, as we are speaking, the Trojans are out there. The Graham Harrell offensive era is rolling. If anything goes bananas during the recording of this podcast, we will address it. But until then, we, uh, we decide to look back at what has happened today and the rest of the weekend. Gentlemen, uh, how are we feeling right now as on the East Coast – we are about to work our way into September. How are we doing?
1: Uh, we are feeling blessed after a miracle Auburn cover helped me lock up my Auburn minus three and a half because i had been on a bit of a losing streak in the locks there as the day went on. So that was, that was a nice way to finish the day.
2: Well, you were firing it out of the gate, though. looked like you were going to run away with this thing in week one, and then you, you the I think the dentist, the dentist lock, is where he started to stumble. (laughs) The juju, he got that drill on me, and I was going down. Uh, Yeah, yeah. It's uh, this was a this was a fun day because there was really only a couple of actual marquee games, but it was this day was so college football all over the place. There, it was just so college football. There was FCS teams nearly knocking off FBS teams there was like so so many of the preseason convictions have already been called to task based on what we saw on the field and then with the night is is, is closed with the with a really good auburn game and here we are as uh, as USC starts to do some USC stuff and let Fresno State sneak back in here too so it, this is uh, this was a very satisfying day just from a observational standpoint.
0: I think that I might've texted to like no fewer than like seven different friends, just who, who of course, you know, everyone hits you up on a day like today. And, and I just, and a lot of my responses were just, I love this big dumb sport so much like this, this big, stupid sport with so many different ways that things can go so many blown leads so many comebacks hearts broken it was it was all fantastic we will get to uh, some of those fcs teams and some of those blown leads in a little bit but let's let's start with the uh the auburn win against oregon because it had uh it had a lot of different angles to it because there were a lot of different times where we had a certain outcome in mind because Oregon comes right out of the gates. And, uh, and Barton, I'll, will start with you first because, you know, as we are trying to prepare for this podcast, Tom, you had to write about it for CBS sports.com. Uh, we all had our different assignments. You, you're kind of working all your different angles. And for a good portion of this game, you had to commit to the idea that Oregon was about to win. You had to commit mentally to the ideas, like okay, so what does this mean for Oregon? What does this mean for the Pac-12? What does this mean for Auburn? All of that, but yet, did you allow yourself to keep uh, to keep the Auburn mojo, the weirdness that is Auburn, especially in an odd-numbered year with Gus Malzahn backed into a corner? To think, I'm not ready to bury Auburn just yet. Did you keep that alive all through the game?
2: Uh, well, I, I mean. Yeah, I didn't. I hadn't buried them, but I was definitely like, you know, in my head, I had composed tweets that I'd never quite, you know, sent out into the open about, you know, things like, you know, uh, Oregon looks like the most SEC team on this field. And, you know, (laughs) uh, I, I just like it was such a, Oregon looked like the better team. Yeah. Like they look like the like they were clearly the better team in the first half, and the whole and, and even as I was thinking about things like to write this week, there were there were storylines surrounding this Oregon win and why they're more equipped to beat an SEC team than some of the previous uh, West Coast contenders, and and then the game just starts to like like. Barely perceptive, like like you could barely see how it's shifting with the naked eye, but it starts to shift. And I look up at the end of the game, and the box score is is I mean Auburn had better stats. I mean without digging too deep into it, but just like they had more total yards, first downs, and that kind of stuff. And I, I just like was it was I imagining things? Like did you guys think that too? Like that uh, Oregon, like just based purely on just eye test. Did you think Oregon was the better team?
1: Do you see the set of footprints in the sand, Barton? That's when Auburn Jesus carried
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, you've, no. you've got the you've got the inability to get, punch it in the end zone in the first half, right? So you've got two field goals and one missed field goal. Like if you're if you're looking at total yards and first downs, a lot of those yards and first downs in the first half for Auburn were the inability to get it done in the red zone, which is both a compliment to Oregon and its defense and how feisty it was. But I do think that that that's probably the first place that I go to for an explainer on why the final box score uh, shows a little bit more of an even matchup.
1: Well, here's what it is. Both teams struggled in the red zone. Oregon had five red zone possessions. It got 21 points out of it. Auburn had five red zone possessions. They got 17 points out of it. And we mentioned, you know, there was that dropped touchdown by Brian Addison in the back of the end zone that could have put Oregon up 14 to nothing and probably would have changed the entire way this game went. Instead, it was a drop. They had to settle for a field goal attempt. They missed and they came back and got another touchdown. So Oregon's first three possessions went touchdown, missed field goal, touchdown and then they scored one touchdown in their last eleven possessions. That was it. So it's it felt like Oregon was the better team for a lot of the game. But the reality is when you look back on it, it's the Auburn defense was probably the best unit after those first few possessions. The Auburn defense kind of took control of the game and allowed Auburn to hang around, and it's just one of those instances where you see it so many times with this Auburn team. They hang around and they hang around, and then at the end of the game, something crazy happens, and that's exactly what happened tonight.
2: Well, I also think, yeah, I do agree Auburn's defense was outstanding, uh, but you can you can hand some of the, the credit or blame I think to Oregon's play calling uh, coach. Like it just, they, it felt like they tightened up a lot in that second half and uh, didn't quite play with the same sort of, uh, I don't know, abandoned energy. Um, call the game with the same sort of mentality that they did in the first half when they were having all that success. And I do think, you know, I had been talking about it leading up to the game, sort of the, the lack of wide receiver playmakers that Oregon had and their top, arguably their top three guys were sitting on the sideline. Uh, and, you know, at the end that, that did play a role too. But I, I also wanted, you know, you got to touch too on just sort of the, the – the emerging legend of Bo Nix. Oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I was, you know, I was texting with some people and, um, you know, one, one guy was saying, man, I'm sort of surprised Bo Nix didn't score that last possession. He feels like he's got a, cl- some clutch plays in him or something. And then like, you know, they get a stop and then he goes down and he does score and has the big clutch moment. And it's like, he, he absolutely, you know, Coach's son, uh, former player's son, uh, Auburn legacy, all this stuff, and makes the big play in the big moment. And like Herb Shree said on the broadcast, like n- eyes never looked big and wide. That said, like it was a it was not a beautiful performance by any no. means by Bone Dix. Like that was not. He looked like a freshman throughout the majority, if not all, but about a couple drives of that game. How many?
0: you yeah, go ahead, Tom. I
1: was just gonna say, yeah, it's like there were the there were the two red zone interceptions. One of which was just a really dumb freshman moment. The other one was a dumb freshman moment, but I also felt like it was a strange play call to have your freshman quarterback running in his very first start. But yeah, it's he he came through at the end, you know, like that on that final drive when he when he picked up the first down on the third and short by scrambling that throw on third and 10. And then of course the touchdown throw, it's like, Oh, okay. Bo Nix. He's not pretty tonight, but there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about that kid going forward.
0: How optimistic are y'all about Auburn? Like as, as you uh, start to spin it forward and we've got plenty of time to digest it and pick it. And because it's Auburn, we're going to have, uh, tons more games that are going to take spotlights, both in terms of our locks and our recaps and our previews. It, it will be, you know, one of the most talked about teams that we have here on the show. But as just right now in this moment, uh, less than an hour after the conclusion of that game, uh, where where do you think this Auburn team ceiling is? Nine I mean, wins?
2: Yeah, I mean, I have a hard time seeing it beyond that as well. But, I, I mean, I'm not going to – I guess I wouldn't put their ceiling at nine. I, I think Bo Nix has to get a lot more comfortable. Um, and, and it's just, man, that offense is – I am – even in a win, I come away very down on Gus Malzon. <laughs> like, the it just – that offense, as JT Daniels throws an interception in the end zone. Woo! That, that – that offense – Hasn't I? Like, do, you, do you remember when that offense was like cutting edge, and that was the new hotness? Was the Gus Malzahn offense? And it's like, oh, now Gus Malzahn's calling the plays again. Oh man, he's gonna get his mojo back. But the offense has always been his. It's just someone else calling the plays of his offense, and it always looks like this. And it's just sort of this, you know, like one receiver routes, play action shots, uh, grind. Run game and like even tonight, like Bo Nix, he there there really isn't. I don't. I mean, yes, he is a true freshman, but you you don't see the quarterbacks at Auburn like really go through progressions. It's for for Nix. It's you take look at look for your shot, you play action, look for your number one option, and then you go. And part of that's being a true freshman. I think part of that's not really being coached to do otherwise. And I don't know, man. I'm not. I'm. I don't leave the game any more confident that Gus Malzahn can take Auburn to to heights beyond like the 9 win threshold.
0: I leave the game very very shaky with my bullish take on Auburn in the preseason. I think I think that what you said Barton is spot on and some of it might be personnel, like it might just be that uh you know, like wasn't Seth Williams a pretty highly touted prospect? He's a sophomore now, right? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean he was a four-star.
0: Four-star, but okay. Well, that's I mean, yeah. You know, I just don't think that they are overwhelmingly impressive at the skill positions. I think that it felt like their most successful offensive plays were when they hid a receiver or Oregon forgot to cover a receiver. And when, like, that's how you're getting your chunk plays – I understand that some of that's by the nature of the system because Gus wants to run fast. He wants to stress the defense. He wants to, you know, put them in awkward personnel groupings, show you a lot of window dressing, get your eyes in the wrong place. I understand that like trickerations at the center of it. And if, you know, part of buying into the Auburn stock, I I know that I am getting some of that, but it really felt like that was all they got against Oregon was, uh, again, at the end, the score comes in this sort of frantic uh, moment. And before that, the only touchdown seemed to come in because of the other team's mistakes, this offense outside of running at tempo. And there was one stretch, maybe one drive when I thought Jartavius Whitlow really got it going and the offensive line started to get a push, but it did not feel like they were out executing or effective uh, in a major way against this Oregon defense. Maybe we will go on to see that that is the Oregon defense, but uh, I I came out of the game like much like you, Barton, where I was like, "Man, this this Auburn offense is really lucky that its defense is going to keep it in every single game, so that it can hope one of these trickoration moments works out in its favor uh, in all of the close games against the best teams."
2: They've got another they've got another big upset in them. Or I mean, this wasn't an upset. But they've got an upset. They got a big upset in them somewhere along the way. They've got a head scratching loss somewhere along the way, and <laughs> yeah. they'll and they'll you know and then they'll have they'll toss up a few of the A and M type games and you know win some and lose some. So it's uh, I think that lands it probably still in the eight and nine win range. Mm.
0: Okay, so the SEC in general and the SEC East in particular really uh, took center stage. And in the same way that I feel like we were cautioning about trying not to overreact, I I wonder if I I wonder where we toe the line between uh, pointing out uh, individual bad losses and questionable situations and where we. and where we can group these things together. So, like f- let's let's start with uh Tennessee. Is is this an ind- is this an individual instance? Is this one game or are things seriously wrong with Tennessee right now?
1: I I think that there's some plenty. Of, I don't know if it's like, you know, it's not like an emergency cuz we see that so much in the first week where weird things happen, okay? But they also lost at home to Georgia State, a team that went, what, 2-10 and 10 last year, I believe? Yes. So you can't write it off too easily, and it's not like it was a fluky loss. Georgia State was outplaying Tennessee for 60 minutes. It started right from the beginning of the game. Tennessee fumbled on the second play of the game. Georgia State scored right afterwards, then Tennessee came back and took a 14 to 7 lead, and I figured at that point, okay, game's over. Tennessee's going to run to her route. It just never happened. They couldn't, you know, they could not get Georgia State off the field whenever they needed to get him off the field. And then in the fourth quarter, it was Georgia State that looked like the SEC team hosting, you know, the Sun Belt team. They were just grinding Tennessee down in that fourth quarter, outscored them seventeen to ten. Although, you know, Tennessee had that touchdown with two seconds left to make it look like it was a closer game than it was. Georgia State was just the better team on Saturday, and if that, there's no way you can look at that and say that's not a concern for Tennessee.
2: Yeah, I mean it's Georgia State. Went two and ten last year, like you said, Tom. And it's not hyperbole to say that there is not a single player on their roster that Tennessee wants or wanted. Maybe Dan Ellington. Maybe yeah, like now, now, yeah, like Dan Ellington and uh, you know, but but out of high school, like Tennessee took every single one of their guys over the Georgia State guys. And so this is there's there's zero excuse for a loss like that, like just none. And I, I mean, it's 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 just hard to wrap your head around. Like, where how do we get this this bad? How did it sink this low? They've got players. I don't understand it. And it's uh, and it's and it is a, a, a coaching staff. It's like an all star coaching staff. So something's wrong but who who do we who do we blame here like who, what do we what do we even do like i don't even know where to go if i'm tennessee it's like who, who are you firing who are you hiring who are you like what player you just got done having a really good recruiting class like what's uh, it's almost like you just got to sit and wait this thing out and just sort of you know wait wait for the sun to to, to set and rise uh, uh, for a long time, and then eventually, just time will pass, and you will have gotten a little bit better. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't. It's it's a discouraging place to be. I think right now for a Tennessee fan.
0: So they said all the right things. Was the the takeaway that I got from some of the post game press conference? There was no uh, there was no excuse making. Everybody was sort of stepping up, but that it has been uh, sort of a through line through the Jeremy Pruitt system. And and pardon, if you're looking for a place to go, how, how about this? I would point. And this is not something that an that a Tennessee uh, staff member or a Tennessee player would point to, but if I am talking to a Tennessee fan and I'm trying to talk them out of uh, lighting their boat on fire so that it sinks in the middle of the Vol Navy, <laughs> like like I'm trying to tell them that on September 30th, 2017, Troy went into Baton Rouge and beat LSU 24 21. And a year and a half later, LSU was in a New Year's Six bowl game getting a win. Like it, there, there are examples of these uh, just sort of strange things just aren't quite working. And yeah, there, there was uh, changes that were made with uh, Matt Canada first having to uh, change up his system and then a changeover at the offensive coordinator position between 2017 and 2018. But these... These games can end up being Tennessee just didn't show up something's not right there there is an out for this but it is uh, it is incredibly um, damning when put together with the entire body of work like I think that if Tennessee had had a one-off loss to Georgia State like this, uh, I think that we would dismiss it easier than having it line up. Right next to Missouri losing to Wyoming. Right next to South Carolina losing to North Carolina. Like right next to just what seems to be like carnage within uh, within the SEC East and within the SEC. I guess uh, if if you extend it out, did we have any West teams lose? Arkansas messed around with Portland State.
1: Um, Ole Miss lost to Memphis. Oh, Mississippi man. State struggled with the Cajuns. Arkansas beat Portland State by seven. You know, I mean. Auburn nothing to be ashamed of with their win, but LSU and Alabama dominated Duke and Georgia Southern. Georgia beat up on Vandy pretty well, but other than that, there weren't exactly a lot of, you know, resounding performances in the conference.
0: I think I think that Tennessee, yes, like this is this is going to cause a lot of soul searching, but I I wonder if it is it is standing out even more so as one piece of a bigger puzzle or a bigger narrative that was built through the results in week 1.
2: So, I almost tweeted something like, um, "Is is is the SEC East the worst division in college football?"
0: And, <laughs> Man, your your drafts. I, I want to see Barton and, <laughs> Simmons drafts.
2: But 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 I part of the reason I didn't even tweet it is because I thought about. it. I was like, "Wait a minute did I, did I tweet this exact same thing last year?" Like, am I crazy? Does this happen every year? Is it? Did, I feel like it happened last year, where the SEC like either loses or almost loses to all these teams, and or specifically the SEC East, and and maybe over the course of like SEC play, there's an upset or two, or they play a, a West team close, or you know we convince ourselves that they're getting better because they're all playing each other, but ultimately, like I think this is a pretty, I mean that's a terrible look for the east what they did today i mean missouri losing to wyoming uh i mean missouri was already counting their nine wins like they were like they had penciled it in nine wins let's hope we win the last three like uh i mean kentucky beat toledo but i mean they they did that wasn't dominating they were uh, down like 14 nothing early
1: yeah they had to they they were in a fight that entire time
2: terry Wilson. Mean, seriously t- like, yeah that terry wilson like, did not look good like I Reassess here. Think about this and give me an honest answer. Is is what's better? What's a better t- division, the SEC East or the ACC Coastal?
1: The East because it has Georgia. That's it. And Florida. Yeah. They, they've got two teams that are better than any team in the Coastal. But I think that after you get past Georgia and Florida, the difference between the Coastal and the rest of the SEC East, not very big. If there even and, is
2: any. And this might be an overreaction by me, but it also it also might be the proper reaction that then gets watered down with a bunch of inter interdivision games and we don't, and we just start deciding the SEC is better again just because sort of, you know, uh, the, the season progresses. And, you know, so I, it's just, uh, I mean, at what point do we stop sort of making excuses for these sort of gross early season showings? Well,
1: it's I tweeted earlier today, and it, I got yelled at a lot by a lot of SEC fans for it. I said, and this was before Missouri lost to Wyoming, but I tweeted, it, imagine if the Pac-12 lost to Memphis, Georgia State, and North Carolina today. Everybody would be talking about how it's eliminated from the playoff already. And they're going to talk about how it's eliminated from the playoff because Oregon lost to Auburn by six points at a last-minute TD. But so, but the SEC gets to skate by, and the response from most SEC fans when I have mentioned that is, yeah, but it was Ole Miss, Tennessee, and South Carolina, they don't matter. <laughs> so the conference yeah. is great, except for the teams that don't matter when they lose, but they count when they win. You know what so, I oh, – go
0: ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I, I think what happens is that the SEC probably truly does have more talented players. It just doesn't have healthy programs, and that's what we've got. Is we've got like a Missouri, uh, we've got a Missouri program that had that had the advantage of having Drew Locke, and last year I think Emmanuel Hall kind of helped that offense move a little bit, and they've had some good defensive lines, but I don't think Barry Odom has really fielded a dominant defense since he was a head coach. We've got Will Muschamp who has had a South Carolina team that frequently. Uh, has had head scratching losses and lacked the kind of quality win that you want to see. Butch Jones and, and the Tennessee era is uh, obviously comes with all of its own oral histories and and baggage that I, I'm not I'm not all in on Jeremy Pruitt, but I'm at least willing to know that it's gonna take some time for and some recruiting cycles before things really turn the corner in Knoxville. Like they're Ole Miss. There you go. There's another one right there. I just, I think that there are uh, more than a handful of programs in the SEC right now that have very talented rosters, but I would not say that they are healthy programs. And I think that that really, really shows up in some of these non-conference weeks. And maybe that's why, Barton, as you mentioned, when we get into interconference play and it's talent against talent, it's conference against conference, familiarity comes in, we get some good games and we're like, oh yeah, the SEC's good again. Maybe it, it doesn't have to do with talent. Maybe it is like how healthy is your program? And and that's where best becomes one of those you know, in the eye of the beholder type analysis because, you know, yeah, you could have the best players and and you could uh, be good and you could be the best but if it's not a if it's not a healthy program I, I think there's something to that and it, it gets exposed in bowl games and non-conference games in some of these more one-off scenarios.
2: so just to uh, so I wasn't making it up I just looked at last couple of like week ones uh, in the SEC. And the, the 2018, 2017, you know, whatever, some some head scratchers, but nothing terrible. 2016 wasn't a great week one. App State really should have beaten Tennessee, I think, because I think this is the year I was thinking that uh, the great Perry Orth led Van, led South Carolina over Vanderbilt. Uh, there was UMass sort of playing Florida relatively close. West Virginia beat Missouri. Southern Miss beat Kentucky. So that wasn't a great. Great first week, but uh, but I, I think that's a good that's a good point, Chip. Uh, and with that said, Will Muschamp deserves all the heat <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's bit like he has had plenty of time. Where's to the signature nurse that wins? program to hell Yes,
0: yes, 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 yes.
2: I mean, this is Mac Brown rolls in, takes a two-win team. And in one year, first game, he's beaten South Carolina, and South Carolina needed that game. And and I mean that, that one was in some like in some ways that that game would be more deflating to me as a South Carolina fan than Tennessee's loss would be as a Tennessee fan. You're already down if you're Tennessee. South Carolina's been trying to convince themselves that they're back for four years now. And Mac Brown rolls in on day one.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's not all that different. Like his, his I guess you could say his, I don't, the, the pattern is very similar to what he did at Florida. He went seven and six the first year, then went 11 and two, then took a huge step back in year three and then continued to like just kind of flutter in year four. South Carolina six and seven in year one, jumped up to nine and four in year two. Dropped down to seven and six in year three, and now he's starting off, you know, year four where they lost to North Carolina. So it's, yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if, based on what I saw today. And again, you, I, you try not to overreact to what you see in the first game of the season. You really try. But just from what you saw, there wasn't a ton there to really get you excited about this Gamecocks team going forward. And I won't be surprised if come the end of the season, you know, they're all of a sudden in the market for a new coach.
2: Well, that's the problem. It's it, to me, it's le- it's less about like what the bo- what the product looked like on the field, and more about look if you can't beat North Carolina, who are you going to beat on the schedule? And North Carolina, Tennessee. might be <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and North Carolina might be good, but they but South Carolina has an absolute – like their their schedule is 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 wild. So that's just a, that that was um, that's a bad way to get things kicked off. And Jake Bentley, man, just just is the same guy. The same guy he was as a freshman. Just hadn't changed.
1: A bit of breaking news, USC quarterback JT Daniels was just helped off the field by trainers after getting twisted up on a sack. So his night might be
2: over. Yeah, this is going downhill right now for USC. Mm-hmm. Do
0: you think that there should be anything put into the fact that South Carolina just sort of was <coughs> unable to to find anything. I mean, I I don't know. We we all, I I will admit, I will admit it right here on this instant reaction podcast. I was pretty dialed into that game. You know, the group chats were popping. There was a lot of conversation. I was like, you know what? All right. I am interested. I'm, I'm, I want to see how this goes. And South Carolina, especially on offense, Jake Bentley put, I'm going to say eight passes into the ground. Like in if totally 100% ineffective for the last quarter and a half from about midway through the third quarter on, I don't know if Jake Bentley did uh, hardly anything that was all that impressive. And that off, like the offense has Brian Edwards, who I think is a very good wide receiver, probably going to play in the NFL. Uh, I liked Rico Dowdle as a as a player at times, but the offensive line couldn't get anything. And as I've mentioned before, that North Carolina defense, like when you look at the depth chart just on paper, doesn't look that big. When they get on the, the bus, they don't look all that sizey. Like we mentioned before, former quarterback Chaz Surratt was out there busting his tail at linebacker. Like I, I thought. The fact that there was just no life on the sideline and no, no, they kept doing crowd shots of South Carolina fans, and even when South Carolina was leading, still, you could just see it in their faces. They, it was the same song that they'd been through time and time again. Like there just doesn't seem to be much hope right now, and that kind of stuff compiles on itself. Where, like, like both of y'all have mentioned it does seem very, very quickly like all of the heat is on Will Muschamp's seat right now.
1: Hey, Chaz Surratt and those, the Tar Heels defense held South Carolina to 270 yards today, baby. <laughs> That's just, yeah. Whew, not good look from South Carolina today at all, but congrats to Mac Brown for getting a pretty big win from North Carolina. What was the stat you texted me earlier tonight, Chip, about North Carolina and, and Power 5 non-conference wins?
0: Uh, you ready for this, Barton? Yeah first non-conference power five win in the regular season against a team not named Illinois or Rutgers since 2002.
1: (laughs) I love the not named Illinois or Rutgers qualifier. It's my favorite part of the (laughs) state. It's like against a real power five team without saying it.
2: (laughs) Oh man. Good stuff. All right. Did you see it? Did you? Did you see Mac Brown's post-game interview? Oh man, yeah, he, he was, was crying. He was choked up. Choked up. That was that was kind of dope. I like. I kind of. I was kind of. I kind of felt the feels a little bit. In that one got a little dusty in the in the old. Uh, in the old viewing studio in the Simmons household.
0: I like, he, he said we made so many coach and they did make so many coaching mistakes. Yes. <laughs> it was, yeah. it was clearly uh, the first game back for somebody who had spent Saturdays with Jonathan Vilma in the ABC halftime studio. <laughs> uh, yeah. So many player mistakes, so many coaching mistakes, but yeah, him, him saying he was going to enjoy it. And then, in the uh, you know uh, what, uh, sixty-seven I guess year old man. I don't I don't have it. His Wikipedia pulled up, but the dance video went viral. Uh, very very enjoyable. If you want to go see it, um, I'm sure it's it's somewhere around. But in the post game press conference after the locker room celebration, uh, you know I I will probably guess that he's doing the Mac Brown politician thing. Uh, but he said. The, that locker room was just as happy as the Texas locker room in 05, and I couldn't tell whether that would be more of a statement on North Carolina and how much those players enjoyed and that win meant to them or how that Texas team was more relieved than happy that they'd won the national championship.
1: I don't know, but the best thing about getting old is clearly the fact that if you just move your arm around and your leg, right. people think you're a great dancer.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah. That, my other takeaway from the dance video was like it looked to me like Mac sort of knew, hey, this is the thing coaches do now. They like dance in the middle of the locker room, so I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna move my body parts a, a, in a few different ways. But I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I can't wait for this to be over. And I, I want to get out of the middle of this circle as soon as I can. Uh, but that was uh, that was something.
1: Hey, the players loved it. That's all that matters.
0: The hands up means everybody starts cheering so we can end this, right?
2: Like you like. Yes. You, you, but no, guys. But no. All right, let's get out of here. It's like the old man dance
1: tap out. Just put your arms in the air like I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm
0: sorry oh man all right coming up on the other side we will take a look around the country ohio state michigan lsu texas concern at nebraska boise state over florida state all that and more next the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived thanks to the visionary minds of new balance All right, the Ryan Day era is off and running. Uh, Justin Fields, life looked easy for Justin Fields going up against FAU. And so I give some credit to Ryan Day and the offensive staff. I thought that they made, they, they, they put everything out there for him. You know, you you go out there, you make the right reads, you deliver the ball. We're gonna have a good stat line. We're gonna score touchdowns. Life's gonna be good. The Buckeyes did not cover the spread, so that would be an L for your boy in the locks category. That we will get to that uh, more the following week. But um, I, w- I would say, Tom, starting with you, when how much did you get your eyes on o- Ohio State, and did you feel like you learned much in a game where they were clearly Playing at another level and existing on another tier than
1: FAU. I mean, you didn't learn much. Just you kind of, it was confirmed. It's like, okay, yes, Adjusted Fields is good. Ohio State's talented. I mean, they were up, what, 28 to nothing in like five minutes? Yeah. The game was over really quick. And then after that point, they just kind of went into, okay, let's not get hurt mode and just kind of cruised for the final, you know. 55 minutes of the game which is incredible to think about but yeah i mean ohio state's really really good justin fields had the four touchdowns he had 234 yards passing he also had a rushing touchdown a rush for 61 jk dobbins got his 91 and his touchdown benjamin victor kind of just said hey i'm the new stud receiver everybody learn my name it's spelled weird but it's not that difficult to say and then the defense did, you know, just showed out. I mean, FAU finished with 21 points, but 15 of those points came in the fourth quarter when your starters were long gone for the most part by then. And Lane was just in the well. I got to give the boosters their cover mode. So it's there's not too much to take away from this other than yeah, Ohio State, good, talented, better than FAU. Yeah,
2: um, I mean, Justin Fields is that he is sort of what he what. We thought he was, which is good. good that's a good thing. Um, uh, he's not. I mean, the, what he had four touchdown passes and a touchdown run. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. Yep. And and I think, I mean, really, three of the touchdown passes were just no one near the receiver. Yeah. yeah. So no. one, <laughs> like 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 one of them, he had to at least just sort of put it in the area, uh, and, because there was actually like a, a DB like trailing the receiver. But I'm not, you know, and and I, I am anxious to anoint Justin Fields because I I, I was one of the, the folks hyping him out of high school. But this is it's not time to do that yet because this is just making sure he's he checks the like talent box and I think he does. And I think the offense is gonna be really dangerous with him. But we can't I'm not sure we like can put any Justin Fields is like the question is Justin feels good enough to take Ohio state to the playoffs. I'm not sure we can put that to rest after the FAU showing.
0: When I compare it to Michigan though, Barton, I, I, did you get your eyes on Michigan middle Tennessee? It was yeah, going- gross. Gross. Yeah. See, I come out of uh, today. I agree with you. Like I totally agree. He just had to sit back there with good protection and, and wait for the mesh route to complete to throw it to a wide-open receiver down the seam. Like, he, everything was laid out. It was all on easy mode. He was playing Madden on rookie. I agree with you 100%, but when I take watching Ohio State and I take watching Michigan, I come out of today as we're sitting here late night, Saturday night, and I'm like, I I still feel pretty good about thinking that Michigan is ahead of... uh, That Ohio State is ahead of Michigan right now, and I don't know... Uh, I don't know where Michigan is at offensively, and I don't uh, feel great about the the Dylan McCaffrey kind of working him in there. But he might be better than Shea Patterson, and I don't know, man. I'm I don't I did not love uh, the Wolverines' performance against Middle Tennessee.
2: So here, here's a question for you guys, and this is this is the instant reaction pod. So overreactions or uh, you know it, like. Saturday impressions are they can change like you can you can change your answer on Monday. it's okay I'm not holding you to this. but how would you rank if you had to just say today predict the, the top the, the, the ranking of the top five teams in the big ten how would you rank them?
1: Ohio State one, Wisconsin two.
2: Oh yeah there we go.
1: Michigan three. Penn State four, I guess. Although I barely saw any of that game, but it sure didn't look like they had much trouble at all with mighty Idaho. And then fifth, Illinois baby,
2: <laughs> Brandon <laughs>
1: Peters.
2: So yeah, so you're buying, so you're buying the Wisconsin based on blowing out South Florida. Then. Well,
1: I just think that based on what I saw through the first weekend, I mean, Wisconsin was much more impressive than Michigan was. Not it's not that Michigan was awful. They didn't, but they didn't blow out Middle Tennessee. It was forty to twenty one final. But you know. Michigan's they averaged about six yards per play. The offense kind of hit sputters. My bigger concern was the fact that you know Middle Tennessee put up three hundred yards and twenty-one points on a Michigan defense and kind of you know broke some big plays there for a while. But I think Michigan more than anything kind of shot itself in the foot. It had the two turnovers, including one. Shea Patterson on their very first play of the game, he he scrambled got the first down and then got tackled from behind, lost the ball. Middle Tennessee, you know, recovers it. And then Michigan muffed a punt later, which gave Middle Tennessee a short field. So it wasn't an impressive performance by any stretch, but it was. It also at the same time wasn't really the kind of game where I'm like, oh, I've got serious concerns as much as it was, okay, this is still a Michigan team that has work to do. But I, I think that once, you know, they get settled in, they're going to be just fine.
0: I agree with Tom that I I slot Wisconsin ahead of Michigan, and I probably have as much uh, big impression away from the fact that it was a shutout because you know when when Wisconsin started to slip defensively, that was when my alarm bells went off because Jonathan Taylor's nasty, and you can always count on some level of efficiency from that uh, Wisconsin offensive line, but when they're not able to complement that with a really good, dominant, and imposing defense. Then that's when things start to get concerning, and and like, look, it's South Florida. Things are going to be different uh, when you get into conference play, and and who knows when as we spin the Bulls forward where they're going to be in the AAC. But uh, I I do slot Wisconsin ahead of Michigan. I I think that the Michigan Michigan State game is probably a lot more of a toss up than I originally considered it coming into the season. I think Michigan Penn State. Is a lot more of a toss-up than I considered it coming into the season. But uh, also to welcome in Scott Frost, Adrian Martinez, and the Cornhuskers in there, uh, I found it interesting that Tom didn't mention them. And I agree that I I felt myself coming out of the the Big Ten Week 1 conversation, moving down Michigan, moving down Nebraska, moving up Penn State, and moving up Wisconsin. But again, I leave Ohio State at number one.
1: Well, I want to be clear. I'm putting Wisconsin ahead of them in my week one power rankings, but if they were to play in a neutral field next week, I'd be picking Michigan to no, beat that's Wisconsin.
2: My, that, that's my point is I'm just curious who you actually think are the best teams based on the limited info we have. I'm not saying who deserves to be ranked what. I'm saying who you think or who you oh, expect is the best Oh, I still think Michigan's better than Wisconsin, yes. I think it's okay.
1: Ohio State and Michigan.
2: Okay, see, I, I'm I, – I am – I mean, Penn State, I know it was Idaho – but Penn State is is probably going to have a better defense this year than Michigan is. They got better really? players. Yeah. I mean Penn State's Penn State's players on defense are I mean they're loaded on defense. And so the question I have is with their offense. Their offense is I mean it's it like I don't know I don't know like where the Delta is between like where your offense should be against MTSU versus where it should be against Idaho. Like, I don't know what the, uh, you know, what, what, the leveling factor is that's, that allows us to compare those two. But um, I just, I mean, I, and and look, I, I grant the Michigan, it was, it was first, first game of a new coordinator in a totally new system. So we should allow them some growing pains, but um, I just think that it's, Penn State's going to have a the the schedule. Who they play someone this week? They should beat. Um, and then they play Pitt, and then they play somebody good. Uh, they play Buffalo this week, and then they play Pitt. Then they play at Maryland. Then it's Purdue. Then it's at Iowa, and then Michigan. That that is about as uh, that's about as good of a schedule as you can ask in terms of building up towards like the the, the beat of the schedule. So Penn State's got plenty of time to get clicking. I just, I am tempted to think Penn State is going to be the, that sneaky team in the Big Ten this year, and oh. I and, and I think that could mean they're, that they're the second best team. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't or think third.
1: that's, I don't think it's impossible by any stretch, but I'm not ready to yeah. do that just yet.
2: I think that if you give
0: me Michigan State minus six and a half at Penn State. On October nineteenth right now, I'm taking Penn State money line.
2: Penn State versus who? Michigan. Oh, sorry, I said oh, yeah. Michigan State. I thought I'm you said Michigan, Michigan State yeah, 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 in yeah. Penn State. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean I think I, I, I think I would too.
1: That's fine, but for I mean, for all the struggles that Michigan seemingly had tonight, it still put up forty points.
2: It's- yeah. I, and and uh, and and uh, like I said, this is all just this is this is snap judgment time. Right now, so I'm not, I'm I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to sentence them to anything for granted. I'm just just forty points
1: is only forty points is only half of seventy nine, which is what Penn (laughs) State put up. So, yeah,
0: I I, 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 listen as as somebody uh, who was interested in Michigan going over fifty five, the fact that I needed a middle Tennessee late fourth quarter bizarro touchdown to hit that. There was a lot of frustration with Michigan's offense for hey, your boy on Saturday night. It not matter how you night. get
1: there; it just matters that you get there.
0: Um, all right. So, what about Nebraska? Is that is is there warranted concern for the fact that it was a it took three non offensive touchdowns for Nebraska to win by fourteen?
1: Uh yeah. I mean, I. Again, it's you never want to overreact too much. It could have just been, you know, an offense playing its first game of the season and struggling, but the offense certainly didn't look, you know, to be firing on all cylinders. Adrian Martinez did not look great. He only threw for 178 yards. He was 13 of 22. He didn't throw for a touchdown. He had the one interception. He ran 13 times, only had 6 yards, you know, that was because of sacks, but it's just it was not the kind of performance you expect because like you said they needed their defense to bail them out and when you tune into Nebraska and you everything you hear about them you know with Scott Frost and what he did at UCF and when he's coming to Nebraska and they're going into year two and last year the defense was awful and the offense is what you know really helped them win games on the stretch so you come into the season against South Alabama and you think oh man they're going to they're going to put on a show for the home crowd today. They're they're going to put up some points against the Jaguars, and they couldn't. They they really could not find any kind of rhythm offensively, and it, it's I it's something I think that is a concern for the coaches, or at the very least, maybe they're looking at it as a learning experience something to coach him up on to figure things out you know make sure you know maybe nebraska got caught up in its own hype because there's been a lot of hype about it this off season, so maybe this is one of those chances for the coaches where it's kind of a blessing in disguise a little bit of a wake-up call for them as so they go into next week ready to actually have to prepare and play football but it it I don't want to freak out, but just yeah, it was when I was watching that game. It was like they they did not look sharp at all. They did not look cohesive. The offensive line I thought was kind of you know soft at times. We weren't really able to get any push. This is Nebraska averaged two point two yards per carry today against South Alabama. Now, I'm not knocking South Alabama, but if you can't get three yards per carry against South Alabama, what are you going to do against Wisconsin? What are you going to do against Iowa? You know, and so it's that's a concern to me. That offensive line's got some improving to do.
2: I baked in a lot of year two coach uh, impact for team improvements, you know, and uh, that's probably a, a good lesson to not assume that just because you, you know, you hear good things or you, you know, like, I think you got to prove it in order to, to, to start to trust um, significant improvement. I say that with, with Chip Kelly in mind for that Cincinnati clunker against, mm. uh, you know, where, where Cincinnati just totally just beat the hell out of UCLA, just beat them up. Uh, Scott Frost and Nebraska just, you know, didn't, didn't look, didn't look like it took a big step forward against South Alabama. Obviously Jeremy Pruitt's another year two guy. Um,
0: Willie Taggart,
2: Willie Taggart, you know, uh, Chad Morris, the year two guy who didn't look much better at Arkansas. like there's, There's probably more out there I'm not even thinking of, but uh, a lot of of year two clunkers in week one.
0: Mountain West had four victories over Power 5 teams. Is the Mountain West back?
2: (laughs) It is
1: the premier group of five conference now, yeah. I
2: love the Mountain West.
1: Tom West is a very fun conference for sure. I don't know if they're back because they did they did win a couple games, but if you look elsewhere in the conference, they lost some too and they kind of struggled a bit. San Diego State with a big, big time 6-0 win over Weber State tonight.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, I mentioned this beforehand, so I hope that you've had time to consider it. Two questions for both of you. Uh, number one is going to be the most stunning result followed by the most satisfying result. And the the qualifier that I want to put on this is stunning and satisfying. I don't want it to be within the context of the everyone conversation. I want it within the context of your view of college football, like with the way that you saw things. And it doesn't have to be a lock or a prediction, but just the way that you see the landscape, what was the most stunning result? you are like, man, I, I did not see that coming. And then the most satisfying result, where you feel like you had it called, Barton first.
2: Uh, I'll do for the most stunning. I'll go to the Iowa State game. I mean, they. I, I was watching that one close. Uh, they needed all every bit of three overtimes to beat Northern Iowa, and that's that's a that's a bad start for my ten win Big Twelve championship game, Iowa State Cyclones. So I would say that was stunning. That, now, that said, I actually don't really – I'm not really worried about it. Like I actually think that that this can be excused because that's just what kind of Iowa teams do. They just, they, they just kind of get in these backyard brawls and they all are just, you know, a bunch of farm boys that, you know, have – known each other and they just kind of big old country fed boys and they somebody wins somebody loses it's always close
0: it's like Like, you replace uh you replace corn with uh i don't know whatever stereotype we want to have for the tennessee mississippi border and you just sort of say like yeah it was old miss memphis it was it was a it was a it was a bar fight
2: but I feel like like Iowa always like messes around in this game with the Northern Iowa. Like I, I would have to go back and look, but I feel like Northern Iowa scared teams before, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're you're not very good if you if you you know don't blow out Northern Iowa. I think I think Iowa State is a little bit has a little Michigan State in them where they are they're gonna against bad teams they've got a tendency to maybe play down to them but they can play up to to good teams as well so uh so i but that was still just that was troubling you know as they were about to lose that game um that was i was i was rooting for the cyclones to just sort of let let me live like till week two (laughs) for my for my for my 10 and 2 prediction there what about satisfying satisfying uh you know, I think the like this the that that Ole Miss struggled the way they did. I I think looked they looked about like I thought they would look. I guess I'm not satisfying to see them struggle, but just I feel like I had that one pegged right. Um, and that's they're gonna, yeah, and, and that's, that's, that's what
0: I'm going for here. We're not delighting right. in the joy. We're not delighting in someone else's struggles, but right. we're just we're just patting ourselves on the back.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be a long year, and um, that game against Memphis doesn't really change change my opinion there. I mean, I think this is still going to be a really long year, uh, and I mean, that Cal game is going to be an ugly one because Cal <laughs> ain't scoring on anybody. Um, that, I mean, it was it is encouraging that that Ole Miss's defense is, is playing a little better, um, but. But no, like that was that was about what I sort of expected Ole Miss to look like.
1: Tom, uh, I would say the most surprising thing I, besides Tennessee losing to Georgia State for me was just Florida State completely collapsing against Boise State on Saturday morning. Because I mean, <laughs> that was I felt like we went through an entire year of Kendall Bryles and Florida State fans reacting to their offensive coordinator in about a two hour span. 'Cause this was a team that jumped out to a huge quick start, had the twenty four to six lead on Boise and like the first twenty minutes of the game, and then just pretty much stopped playing football on offense. And the defense kept giving up touchdowns. That whole kind of thing was kind of shocked to me because I had the over on Florida State's win total this year. I thought that with Bryles in there, with with a second year under Taggart, I thought that this was a team that was going to take a step forward in 2019, not in that whole really competing with Clemson kind of way, but at least becoming a possible third team in the ACC that you kind of have to respect. And that all went out the window really quick in the second half of that game. What about your satisfying... Uh, this isn't about really for me as much as it's uh, UTEP has won the last two bottom twenty-five titles, and on Saturday night UTEP beat Houston Baptist narrowly, thirty-six to thirty-four. But the Miners are one and zero, so that means they've already got a good head start on not you know on avoiding the 3 threepeat. So I'm very happy for the Miners. For at least one week, they will remain outside the bottom twenty-five.
0: Uh, all right i'm gonna say that my most stunning result the one that i absolutely did not see coming was texas just heavy handedly throwing down louisiana tech i had uh many many good reasons to pick louisiana tech against the spread and they did not have a lot and i i am having trouble uh, be- because I, I don't get the Longhorn Network and I will have to find the replay of that. I'm having trouble uh, deciphering whether that is a good sign for... A Texas defense that had to replace a lot of key players, or whether it just means we've turned a corner in this particular cycle of Skip Holtz's Louisiana Tech team. So it is stunning because I'm still trying to unpack it as we record this podcast. 45-14 was not how I saw uh, that one playing out, especially with the fact that Texas had that thing as a shutout for most of the game. My most satisfying result is Boston College over Virginia Tech. I thought the wrong team was favored right there. And I think that the way that Boston College was able to get going on offense against Virginia Tech only reinforces the idea that you should be concerned with the fact that uh, Bud Foster is announcing his retirement after this season not necessarily uh, providing the kind of landscape for a let's-go-do-it-for-Bud Foster kind of attitude around Blacksburg I think that this is, you know, we had a very smooth transition from Frank Beamer to Justin Fuente in the fact that Frank Beamer's last year as head coach, they had to beat UVA to be bowl eligible and keep their bowl streak alive. But then the next year, Justin Fuente, year one with Blacksburg, uh, with the Hokies in Blacksburg, takes him to the ACC championship game. Yay, hooray all is well athletic director whip babcock you did it perfectly it's so hard to replace a legend i think what we are finding is that the difficulties that so many schools and programs have seen trying to replace a head coach who's been there for decades might actually be happening not with the head coach but with the defensive coordinator and that is going to lead to all kinds of identity issues for virginia tech so uh I'm not satisfied that Virginia Tech is going through those issues, but it was a hunch that I had. And for Boston College to be the underdog in that game at home against Virginia Tech and then be able to win that game pretty handily and see some of the reaction coming from Virginia Tech fans afterwards, I I feel like I had that one pegged a little bit right. So, again, I I do not delight in their struggles, but I at least do think that – uh, Boston College with AJ Dillon fully healthy, Anthony Brown still there, getting rolling. Like, yes, they lost some NFL players uh, on the defensive side, but that is still a team to be reckoned with. And for Virginia Tech, whoa, uh, very interesting season ahead for Justin Fuente.
1: Dude's got a dude with the dude's got a dude. Wow,
2: I've had some, I've had some healthy skepticism on virginia tech too and i've sort of been like what am i what am i missing like why are they being picked to finish second in the coastal or you know why are they and i'm, I'm with you i'm kind of like okay this makes me feel like maybe I'm, I'm i wasn't crazy all along maybe maybe there is a ways to go here for virginia tech
0: um anything else in the uh the notebook that we want to get out of here before we uh wrap this up for tonight
2: uh, quick, no, quick, quickly uh it was only against eastern washington but the j the, the signs of life from jacob eason i think were very encouraging and could make washington uh a more fun team than they've been in a few years because he can he move it down the ball jake brownie <laughs> yes
0: <yeah>. yes because <laughs> he can push the ball 30 yards down the field
1: uh-huh. Yeah, he he made some nice throws. Yeah. Uh I'll I'll send a shout out to Northwestern and Stanford for being exactly what you thought Northwestern and Stanford
2: would oh, be. Oh my god, that was as Northwestern Stanford as as Com- as you could have imagined.
1: Complete with knocking QBs out of the game on both sides and also I think Alabama's still good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that
2: defense is going to be all right, I think.
0: Uh, I will give a shout-out to Barton Simmons because the most Utah team that Utah could ever Utah looks
2: about right. <laughs> I I will say on the Utah deal, um, while wow, that, that is encouraging that they handle business against BYU, did, did Tyler Huntley just look a little skittish to y'all? He was I, – I, I don't know – I, they can win the Pac-12, I think, because it's so Utah. Um, but they – I don't know. For that to, for them to be like a playoff team, I like guess to envisioned Tyler Huntley in the playoffs. He just wasn't – I don't know. I, I, I seem to remember him being better than he looked the other night. But, um, but that's Utah for you, you know? I mean, he Opening called, night jitters.
0: He, he called yeah. BYU BYU poo in the post-game <laughs> press conference, which is just so T-Y? pleasant and nice. What he yeah. called them
1: by poo, yeah. Well, he just earned a Heisman vote, <laughs> <laughs> not because I don't like BYU, but because that's just that's some good, solid five year old punning right there. <laughs> what's what's
0: uh who, who got eliminated from the Tom Fernelli team of excellence this week?
1: Uh, a lot of teams have so far, but I mean, I'm not finished yet. There's going to be more teams, I'm going to have to go through it and as I reevaluate and work on my rankings and all that stuff, but so far, officially. Georgia Tech is out because they were serious about giving up the option. Uh, UCLA for failing to cover against Cincinnati and ruining our, our lock unity and our my Twitter first Twitter tip of the day of the year. Uh, Western Kentucky because you can't lose to an FCS team and expect to win the team of the year. Purdue scheduled a road game against a G5 team and got what it deserved, just like Missouri, who will soon be adding this list. And then Tennessee lost to Georgia State at home, so they're gone.
2: So... Um one one pet peeve of mine right now this time of year and I don't know whether this info was out there and I just didn't do enough due diligence but like how about UCLA come to find out Joshua Kelly didn't even playing Darnay Holmes didn't even play there were a couple other like very significant contributors that just it would have weren't been playing. useful info I know now I'm not saying those guys they, they may not have made a difference because Cincinnati just they, they were just uh, I mean that that was across the board. Ass beaten, but uh, I think it it would have been it might have scared me off a little bit knowing Joshua Kelly and a couple of those other guys weren't playing. Mm. Um, and
0: one final statistic uh, as as we wrap this up, this is via Sam Kahn of ESPN. Y'all ready for this? Yep. Auburn's game winning touchdown pass against Oregon was Auburn's first go ahead touchdown in the final minute of regulation since the kick six versus Alabama in
2: 2013 Oh it's going to be a good year chip <laughs> gonna Auburn's
0: a- going to win the football game <laughs> he is Barton Simmons you can follow him at Barton Simmons you can follow him at Tom Fernelli you can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson please subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast if you haven't already it's the way that you get it delivered right to your device when it's live we'll be back on Monday with more putting together the pieces we'll see if USC was able to survive because right now they are only up 7 so things are getting dicey gentlemen thank you very much
1: thank you later